Has there ever been a mystery greater than Jack the Ripper? For most conspiracy theorists and mystery fanatics, there has not. For over a century now, the identity of the infamous Whitechapel murderer has remained unsolved. Though there have been many experiments and investigations on the subject, no concrete conclusion could be made. Tonight, on the premiere episode of our newly created mystery series, we will dive into the puzzling murders that occurred over 130 years ago and recount the many gruesome actions of London's most notorious serial killer. I'm Colt. And I'm Nathan. And this is... Mankind, Mankind Unsolved. London's East End, 1888. The many slums of the Whitechapel district are where some of the most heinous and immoral Londoners call home. These slums are overrun with hookers and criminals who keep one another in business, and the wealthy upper class pay no attention to the dangerous and unkept conditions of the streets on which the impoverished roamed. Interesting news concerning Whitechapel was always a rare occurrence, but one morning that would all change. At 3.30 a.m. on August 31st, a delivery man by the name of Charles Cross set off to work from his home on Doveton Street. As he walked along Brady Street, he decided to cut through Bucks Row and continue towards the 1876 board school. Though light was sparse, Cross noticed a dark bundle of what he assumed to be discarded tarpaulin lying across the road. As he got nearer, however, it was clear that this was no bundle of tarpaulin. Footsteps approached from behind Cross, but as he turned around, he realized these footsteps belonged to a fellow delivery man. Come and look over here, he called to the passerby. There's a woman lying on the pavement. The woman, who would later be identified as Mary Nichols, was flat on her back with her legs fully extended. The two men examined the body in hopes that she might still be alive, but her hands were cold and limp. Robert Paul, the second delivery man who had been passing by, put his hand to her chest and thought he felt a slight movement. He suggested that they sit her up, but Cross refused to touch the body again. With no other options, the two men agreed to continue with their mourning and informed the first policeman they saw about what they had found. As they left, both men failed to realize, thanks to the darkness of Buck's Row, that the woman's neck had been severely slashed from ear to ear. A little before 6 a.m. on September 8th, an elderly resident of 29th Hanbury Street named John Davis walked downstairs and opened the back door of his residence. To his horror, upon opening the door, his eyes were met with those of the now lifeless Annie Chapman. Terrified, Davis stumbled out onto the street and flagged down two workmen passing by. Men, he cried, come here. Quickly but carefully, the two men followed Davis to the backyard. As they emerged from the narrow passageway, the two men stepped back in disbelief. Annie Chapman laid cold and expressionless on the ground in between the back doorsteps and a wooden fence, her eyes staring motionless in the house. Her throat had been slashed similarly to how Mary Nichols had, and her face and hands were covered in the resulting blood. It didn't take long for the three men to hurry off in search of an officer, but despite their best efforts, it was already too late for Annie Chapman.
September 30th at 1 in the morning, Louis Diemschutz, a steward of the International Working Men's Educational Club, was returning to Dutsfield Yard from West O Hill Market on a horse-drawn cart. As he turned into the yard, however, his horse stopped and refused to walk any further. Upon further investigation, Diemschutz noticed a dark figure lying on the ground ahead of him. When he was unable to move the object with his whip, he stepped down from his cart and took out a match to light it. Due to the fast winds, the match went out almost as soon as it was struck. However, the few seconds that it was lit was enough for him to make out a woman's face. Concerned that the woman might be his own wife, Diemschutz entered the club through the side entrance to find his wife safe and sound. Finally, he spoke up. There's a woman lying in the yard, but I cannot say whether she is drunk or dead. Diemschutz returned to the yard with a candle and a group of club members before gasping in horror at the state of the unidentified woman. As it turns out, the woman had been violently cut across the throat, a signature move attributed to the increasingly popular leather apron, Jack the Ripper's pseudonym at the time. The group immediately split up in search of a policeman, but it would not be until a key witness came forward that this woman's story would be revealed. The witness's name was Israel Schwartz, a Hungarian Jew and the last person to have seen this woman alive. Her name was Elizabeth Liz Stride, and she had been spotted several times with various gentlemen earlier that night. It was around 12.45 a.m., 15 minutes before her body would be found, when Schwartz first saw Miss Stride standing in the gateway of Dutfield's yard. A young man with dark hair and a fair complexion, who had been walking in front of him, stopped to talk with Miss Stride. After an apparent fight broke out between the two, Schwartz attempted to cross the street to avoid getting involved. That's when the man shouted to his colleague, who was lighting a pipe close by. He yelled out the word Lipsky, a racial slur used against Jews at the time, at which point the man's colleague began following Schwartz. Scared for his life, Schwartz ran until he could no longer see his pursuer. To this day, it is widely debated whether or not the man Schwartz saw was indeed Jack the Ripper. But if there was even the slightest chance that it was, this could mean that the infamous Whitechapel murderer did not work alone. Only 45 minutes after Elizabeth Stride's body was discovered, Police Constable Edward Watkins would make the second terrifying discovery of the night. While patrolling along Mitri Street, Constable Watkins decided to take a right into Mitri Street before stopping dead in his tracks. There in front of him laid Catherine Eddowes, a local prostitute in a pool of her own blood. Horrified by the scene, Constable Watkins raced across the square to Kirli and Tong's warehouse where a retired police officer named George Morris was working as the night guard. For God's sakes, mate, cried Watkins. Come to my assistance. Here's another woman cut to pieces. The night guard retrieved his lamp and followed Constable Watkins to the scene of the crime. He took only one look at the mutilated body before running down the street, blowing his whistle furiously for help. After a doctor arrived to examine the body, he not only determined that her windpipe had been slashed open, but her earlobes had also been strangely removed. Cutting his victim's throat was one thing, but why had Jack the Ripper taken her earlobes as well? To determine this, we actually have to look back a few days earlier to September 27th. On that day, the Central News Agency received a letter at their premises in the City of London. 
The letter, supposedly sent by the leather apron himself, was largely ignored for the next two days, until, on September 29th, it was passed on to the Metropolitan Police. The letter was addressed solely to the boss, and mostly included the killer boasting about his own accomplishments and describing how he would never be caught. However, the most important clue to the authenticity of this letter was found in a sentence near the end. The next job I do shall clip the ladies off and send the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? At first, the police were skeptical of the truth behind this statement, but after the murder of Catherine Eddowes, it was clear that the author of this letter was genuine in his threats, and it was all signed with a simple yet dreadful signature, Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. On the morning of November 9th, at around 10.45, John McCarthy, a landlord, sent his assistant, Thomas Bowyer, to collect the overdue rent of one of his tenants, Mary Kelly. When Bowyer arrived at Miller's Court, he knocked on Kelly's door twice with no response. Believing that she was refusing to answer, Bowyer stepped around the house and peered into a broken window pane. What he saw sent chills down his spine. The room was covered in blood, and human flesh lay on the bedside table, with Kelly herself skinned and barely recognizable on the bed. After fetching McCarthy and the police, investigators discovered that Kelly's neighbors had heard a faint cry of murder around four that morning. Unfortunately, screams of murder were common where they lived, so the neighbors simply ignored the cry for help. Mary Kelly was the last of Jack the Ripper's canonical victims, and although we don't know for sure how many lives the leather apron has claimed, we do know that the Whitechapel murders died down for several months after Kelly's demise. When we return for part two of this chilling mystery, we'll dive into the possible identities of Jack the Ripper and the impact he had on London and the world. But for now, the mystery remains unsolved. Thank you and good night. If you enjoyed that episode of Mankind Unsolved, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Mankind Unsolved Podcast.